This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and with me today is Nathan Makaborski. Hello. Happy New Year. And Josh Schwartz. Hey there. How's it going, guys? How was your uh, New Year's holiday? It was good. I already broke my New Year's resolution. Which was what? You weren't on our last episode, so we don't know what your resolution was. Well, I realized that I drink a lot of coffee, uh-huh. and it often comes in a paper cup on mm-hmm. my drive into mm-hmm. work, and I was like, this is stupid. I use too many paper cups, so I'm going to start like bringing my own mug to these places. There's literally a paper yeah. Starbucks cup sitting right there. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, yeah, is carrying and a paper cup. Broken resolution. <laughs> First day on the back, January 2nd. So I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'm, I'm still going to make a change. you got a whole year. You can do it. Any change makes an impact. So. Is your plan to drink less coffee or to buy less coffee? Or to just use a different cup just for use, your coffee? Use less paper cups. Okay. Same amount of coffee, probably <laughs> same amount of buying coffee, but less paper cups. Can I tell you, like, I've been like really spooked by the straw thing. Because like, yeah. I can't use paper straws, but like I can totally also recognize that this is a huge problem. My local coffee shop started selling bamboo straws, <laughs> which... I don't think I'm quite ready there yet. I mean, I don't really ever use straws. So. I, I never use straws. I also have a bamboo toothbrush because, mm. fun fact, or not so fun fact, every toothbrush that has ever been manufactured that has been made out of plastic still exists in the world. Mm. They don't biodegrade. So wow. I switched to a bamboo yeah, toothbrush yeah, yeah. about a year ago. All and, right. Uh, I tried metal straws, mm-hmm. and I couldn't do it. It made, like, I like cold beverages, mm-hmm. but it made it way too cold. <laughs> 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 But I made a go of it, but now I've just wasted metal straws. How about you just don't use any straws? Is that an option? I usually don't use straws. I mean, I, I usually, mean, yeah, I'm just but I, wondering, like genuinely wondering. But like, if I order something that has a straw in it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like if you get a nice coffee or something, it comes with a straw. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm trying to, that, that I would love to decrease my reliance on straws this year. You got to ease off the juice boxes. Mm-hmm. Get those Capri Suns <laughs> out of here. <laughs> You're letting everyone know my secrets. Hey, should we talk about baseball? Yeah, I guess. It's it's still January. Baseball's still quite a ways away, but yeah, we're still, things, we're things still, still doing baseball work, in. you know? We still got a lot in the hopper. John, you did an interview with Aaron Boone, what, last month? December? I did it last month. I did it actually, I believe, the day before the one-year anniversary of his press conference, Okay, which was... So that was the day between the one-year anniversary of his being named and then his press conference. So I felt like it was a really yeah. good time. I definitely wanted to look back, and I had questions, of course, like everyone does about 2018 and the way it ended. But what I was really interested in was just how he approaches his first real offseason. You know, one thing that I got into early in my line of questioning with him was, you know, he didn't have to hire coaches this year. He didn't mm-hmm. have to 
you know, learn where his office was or learn where to park or, you know, learn who he needs to talk to if he needs like, you know, a guest pass into the building or Mm -hmm. something. All those like silly things that obviously we take for granted. Like, I mean, logistics. Yeah. 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 You know, he didn't have to do any of that this year. And instead he, he took some time off, obviously, as he should have. And he spent some time in Tampa, which was good too. But for most of the off season, he's just been coming into his office here at the stadium, here at the stadium and kind of just going about his business. And I'm, I'm, I'm just curious what that means and what he is looking to do. You know, at one point I, I mentioned to him, you know, you're not a football coach. You're not sitting in here trying to diagram a play that can't be stopped. Like, that's just not how baseball is. Like, right. he can sit here and draw up lineups right. all day, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, he's a manager. There's only a certain number of combinations once you get down to it. To and so honest. what he explained is kind of what you'd think. And, and, and so what he's – the work – you know, the unstoppable play, if you will, is just making sure that he has an open line to the players, an open line to the trainers. You know, that he's just doing everything he can to be in constant contact without being overwhelming. It is the players' offseason. And like all teams, the Yankees find it important to let the players kind of go their own way during the offseason. But, you know, he, he's checking in. Every day he checks in with a few guys. And it's not just players. It's also just people around the building. And I, I thought it was interesting just to see kind of like, you know, how the abrupt and disappointing ending of 2018 is translating into his preparation for 2019. What did he say about 2018? Did you talk to him at all about, you know, how the first year went and the ups and the downs and all that? Yeah. So the key thing to remember about Boone, I think, is, and and if you go back to last year around the time of the press conferences announcing him, his hiring, everyone wants to talk about the home run. And I'm not going to pretend that he doesn't want to talk about it. He has a picture of the celebration after the home run in his office. But he's very quick to say, but it ended badly, you know, that the Marlins celebrated on their field. And I think that's how he approaches kind of everything that happened in 2018. You know, we, we have a couple months distance right now, so maybe it's a little easier to say this now. 2018 was a very successful baseball season for the Yankees. There was a lot that went wrong in that year, which really shows you how much went right in the year. They won 100 games in a division with a near historically good Red Sox team. They won 100 games. The Rays were very good. They made the playoffs, which you know, is always an accomplishment. It's very difficult to get out of Yankees mode for a little while and just look back and say, you know what, a lot of good happened that year. And I think that he has more time to reflect on it now. And he says that, you know, he can see the positives. But he's also a guy who, you know, says that he watched a team celebrate on his field this year. And that stands with him and he doesn't like it. I wouldn't say that he was necessarily willing to go as far as maybe some people would have wanted in terms of looking at some of the choices he made in those playoff games. But, you know, one point that we talked about was you know Alex Cora the Red Sox manager went into that series basically saying that I'm going to manage this series differently than I've managed every other game Mm -hmm. you know they're both rookie managers they've both never done this his approach was every single out is the most important out of the season and I will bring in any pitcher to get that out or use any hitter to get that out and the fact of the matter is every single thing that Alex Cora did in that series worked. Mm-hmm. If some of those things don't work, like bringing Chris Sale in, in relief, then he doesn't have a starter the next day. If it fails, then you're sitting there and you're saying, man, Cora overmanaged. But they all worked. So the question is, do you say to yourself, the lesson of that is always make every aggressive move and do the opposite of what you, you tell your players, you know, play like it's the regular season and just, you know, keep your head clear. But do you have to manage like a man on fire? Mm-hmm. Or do you say, 
no, the scheme is just so random. And the fact that one guy's choices all worked and one guy's didn't, like, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. To that. I think there's very compelling and fair arguments to say that he should have, you know, pulled Severino quicker. They should have pulled CC quicker. I think that you do have to say this is a elimination game and you can't lose it with a pitcher who's not effective. I think there's reason to believe that. But I also think that it's very difficult to stop doing what got you there and change everything. I, I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's baseball. And anytime you lose a game or a series, like, there's plenty of second guessing to go around. You know, I mean, you can do it about anything. But to go back to something you had brought up earlier with your conversation with with Aaron, um, just about how he doesn't have to do so many of the little things this offseason. I would think, I mean, what's your opinion? Like, should that benefit in some way? Like, will this manifest itself in, in some sort of positive way for him that he doesn't have to think about all these things this offseason? Like, I hope so. Although, again, and, and this gets to the same point as we were just making with, you know, the moves. Like, baseball, you have to be careful not to overthink it. I don't know how I would deal with five months or four months of sitting in my office trying to plan for the next game that's four months away. (laughs) I I think that, not to say that I have a total handle on exactly everything that he did in spring training last year, but it'll be interesting to see what small changes there are. I didn't get any impression from any of the players or the coaches that it was a inefficient or unsuccessful spring training or anything like that, but I'm sure that there's more time now for him to look at scheduling and things like that and see what he likes and what he didn't like. So I think it will. I, I think it will have an impact. I think he will be a better manager in 2019 whatever that means Mm -hmm. does that mean the team's going to win 101 games (laughs) and therefore he's a better manager or does that mean if they win 99 games he's a worse manager i mean it's just like again like it's just baseball and you know i never want to act like we shouldn't analyze this stuff because i'm not looking to cash unemployment checks but at the same time like i don't know man i think that he's just kind of a guy who really wants to get back at it and one of the great things about the baseball season is that you even if you want to you just don't have that much time to reflect during it because there's another game tomorrow and then suddenly there's not another game tomorrow and you have absolutely too much time to reflect (laughs) and you know the thing is you can't win as a manager maybe alex cora did win last year because he was so effective in the choices he made right he like inserted himself into and and good for him winning strategy but with aaron boone we're talking about a guy who literally has one of the most famous athletic feats in the team's history but he can't do that now he can't impact the game that way and i don't want to say it's like an umpire and the cliche where you only notice them if they screw up or whatever i think you can notice a manager doing well but he can't fix a problem you know in the, the players moment. have to play yeah mm-hmm. and, and i think that, that's just hard and i think he really is a super competitive guy who enjoyed being a competitor again i think he was a good analyst i was surprised when he took this job because it seemed like a lose-lose in a lot of ways to me to have your first managerial experience assuming you wanted one be with a team where you have this legendary moment like you basically he basically had a perfect Yankees career that lasted four months you know and you came into a team that was one win from the World Series yeah and and I always wondered like what he was thinking doing that and I think that the answer was just he's really really loved competing yeah and I think he's looking forward to the same thing. Like, you know, this is like a, a very strange, what is it? it's January 2nd right now. And, and we're all sitting there just like he is, you know, waiting for, you know, the notification of where these guys are signing or who they're signing with. And yet, if you simply just go right now and look at the Yankees lineup right now, today, without Manny Machado having decided where he's playing, without Bryce Harper having decided where he's playing, you know, all these things. If you look at the Yankees lineup right now, it's just hard to see a hole in that lineup right now. Right. And obviously, Didi's hurt, and you know that's a problem. And maybe Tulowitzki's awesome, 
but this is a very good baseball team, and we're going to sit here for the next three months, three and a half months, until the team gets ready to break camp, wondering how it can become a better baseball team. But Aaron Boone's in a really good position where he's managing an exceptionally good baseball team. Now, the problem is the Red Sox are really good. The Rays showed that they're very good. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's going to be just an interesting season again. But it was fun to really talk to him about just what year two is like and, mm-hmm. and, and what the emotions are of, you know, when I spoke to him, like I said, it was December 5th, I think. He'd kind of been brooding for a month and a half at that point. <laughs> And you could see it in him. I you was going to say, see... well, what, how did he seem? How did he feel? What was his personality? Like, was he light? Was he airy? Like, how did he sound to you? I mean, he's an airy guy. He has a playful tone to his voice with a little bit of an edge behind it, I think, in the sense that he, he he's a nicer guy in, in terms of his cadence mm-hmm. and the way he sounds than, you know, say a Joe Girardi, who was a little, you know, gruffer and a little harder. That said, I don't think that he takes lightly the questions um i think that he pushes back if he he's not he's not just going to be you know agreeable in every way and not just gonna give you the answer you want he pushed back and there were times that i was trying to get him to talk about some of the choices he made in the postseason i think his argument was that he liked the process behind them like i said i think there are very very compelling articles that make good cases for those decisions he made being wrong and his answer when i asked him about that said that the criticisms are fair because it's baseball, but that he trusted the process, that he didn't make the choices based on falling asleep at the switch. And, and I think that, that was, that's what you want to hear from the manager. I don't think you necessarily want to hear a guy come back and say, like, oh, man, I biffed that one. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I think it's good. I think the, the Yankees have a very, very firm reliance on analytics. I don't believe that he would still be the manager if he had gone rogue. I, I, I'm certain that there was a plan for what to do in all these moments, and like they didn't win the series, but I don't think that the front office was sitting there saying, my God, our manager blew it for us, because right. if they were thinking that, he wouldn't be the manager anymore. You know, as we sit here in early January, and my commutes to and from work, I hear these sports talk radio announcers struggling to like talk about the Yankees when, the, you know, it's been a little quiet for the last few days or weeks or so did you get a sense from him that he is in the same boat is he waiting for stuff to happen is he involved like how involved is he with with that process it's a little bit of both he has more insight than your average fan or yankees magazine employee (laughs) he meets with brian cashman and his crew they know what he wants they know what he thought about the guys i'm certain that they're not approaching any of their free agent or trade acquisitions without knowing um, how he feels about them he also knows that he's not the decision maker that he can weigh in and he can he can make a phone call that we can't to ask if there's any news Mm -hmm. but he also acknowledged that he's waiting for that text message just like we are right i think that We'll get it from an ESPN or MLB.com notification. He'll probably get it from Brian five minutes before that. And I think that's how it should be. But yeah, no, he's excited and he's curious. And when we spoke, the team had just acquired James Paxton. He was very excited about that. And James Paxton, mind you, like just to get back to the point I was making before, another very good addition to a starting staff, which between signing him and re-signing Jay Happ, you know, is there still room for improvement on their starting pitching? Sure. But like, that's a good starting staff right now. If you look at that starting staff and you look at that lineup, yeah. he is, has a very good team that he's managing in 2019. Yep. There'll be plenty of expectations to go along with it. There will be, and it might even be a little easier because the Red Sox won it last year. I mean, easier, you know, you never want to deal with that. But, like, last year we kind of sat here on this time and said, you know, look at this 120-win team, you know, best ever, whatever. I don't think we all saw J.D. Martinez being exactly what he was. But, you know, this year the team is 
got some punch that he needs to, you know, throw. He needs to knock off the Red Sox a little bit. And everyone was chasing this monolith of, you know, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Luis Severino, you know, blah, 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 up and down the list this year. Maybe we see a little bit of the plucky team that we saw in 2017. I don't know. You asked him about whether he had any regrets or second guesses or whatever going back to 2018 what about you know did you did you talk about any of the on the flip side you know was there a, a positive moment did he have like a favorite memory that that stood out from the season the one favorite memory he had and it's not surprising it's a it's not a single moment it's a comeback i don't remember the exact date i apologize but it was a, a aaron judge homer off craig kimbrell um mm. in may and it was during the yankees crazy streak and it, you know it was just part of a moment when i mean everything was going right for that team mm-hmm. and if he doesn't want to take too much of the blame for a loss he's not going to say that he made that streak happen in any way but it was it was an awesome time to watch and he just always felt like it was going to go right and you know that was just a game when i think it was gardner hit a triple mm-hmm. um clear the bases and then judge homer right after that and it was, a, it was a pretty awesome win he has a lot of things like that though he went down a pretty good list to me of exciting moments and also and this is something that i cut from the story he also went through a pretty uh, full list of the times he was ejected this year um <laughs> i was curious about what had the difference between being ejected as a manager and as a player which only happened twice to him in his career but yeah no he he, he got a lot of joy out of this year i think that's extremely clear he appreciated those moments i said that he you know back in this for the competition there's no question he's also backing up for the camaraderie he loves the room and obviously he's in a different role now than he was when he was a player but he loves his clubhouse and he loves being part of this group and you know he could you know i only had a certain amount of time with him and i did want to talk about some other things but i have no doubt that if i would have gone one through 25 on the roster and asked his favorite moment from each of those guys he would have had a very specific uh, anecdote for each of them yeah. yeah, he seems like that type. Well, John, when and where will we be finding this story? Well, we're going to hopefully uh, soon after we listen to this, we'll have it online. Sweet. You know, let's get some Yankees fans thinking about something that's not a free, tra- a free agent <laughs> signing. And then it'll also appear uh, in the spring issue of Yankees Magazine on sale uh, right when the team uh, reports it's to Tampa. It's spring training. Oh, yeah. man. It's uh, still a ways away, but your story is coming out soon. So fans... Come look out yanks.com slash magazine. And coming up, we'll talk about another story, one that I wrote during this offseason full of fun, exciting times. <laughs> Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Okay, we're back. So I wrote a story as well. Actually, I wrote a couple stories. <laughs> but <laughs> this one is much more specifically about the Yankees and uh, Luke Voigt. So I traveled to St. Louis uh, back in November, and I spent a lot of time with Luke uh, in his hometown. It was a lot of fun. Was this your first Missouri trip? I had never been to Missouri. I think I might have driven through Missouri maybe once, mm-hmm. but I'd never been like St. Louis or, or any of that. And he lives outside of St. Louis, but you know, you land in St. Louis, so. What's it? He's in... Uh... He's in Wildwood, I believe, which is southwest of St. Louis. All right. So how was the trip? The trip was great. I went with uh, our photographer, Barry, and we spent a lot of time watching Luke in the gym, mm. which is, is a sight a, is to Is he a behold. big gym guy? I don't you know. You know he's not. He hates it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, he spends, like... I, I, Noodle I, arms and... I spent hours like actual hours just i felt kind of sad because i was sitting there watching him like (laughs) 
pull basically a thousand pounds on a sled and i was like maybe i maybe he wants me to sit on it next like i was waiting for him to be like hey can you get on because he had run out of like barbells to put on his sled so he was like give me those kettlebells and he would put more weight onto the sled i was like he's gonna put me on the sled soon he's gonna put me on the sled this is the least surprising thing ever (laughs) both both sides of those but he was great he was so nice and he is so committed to being a star and proving to people that that month in 2018 was no fluke. This is who Luke Voigt is. This is who he wants to be. He wants to be a leader. He wants to, he had a lot of big goals. I think I can, you know, not to like who my own horn, but obviously I want to be an all-star. You know, I want to win a World Series. I, I want to win a gold glove. I want to, you know, those are all self stuff, but I want to like win and I want to be a leader on the team. And I know I can play at this level and I know I can have success at this level. And, you know, it's almost like I was a late bloomer. Like, you know, I was kind of hard-headed, you know, my whole high school, college, even like a little bit of pro ball. But then finally I started taking stuff in and just kind of learning more about myself and truly a what hitter I can be. And it's kind of turning in, but again, I'm still learning and I, I know that I can compete at the highest level with those guys and whether it's you know the best guy on the mound or you know some average guy on the mound like I'm still going to compete like he's the best in the game and it's cool like getting to kind of have the guys like Giancarlo and Aaron Judge and you know all those guys to have in the lineup too you know it helps but um, I don't know I, I just I believe in myself and I think that's the success you have to be in this game as much as it's a team sport it's an individual sport too because you know the team can't go you know get that hit in that situation right. but you got to also believe that when you get out, the guy behind you is going to get you in. I think that's a mentality that we kind of instilled last year, and I think we'll roll in the next year with that too. He's like, I don't want to be a liability at first base. I want to be a strength at first base. He wants to win a World Series. He wants to go to an All-Star game. He is committed to those goals, and a, a lot of that commitment shows up in the gym and in his forearms and biceps. <laughs> Obviously, it's such a weird place right now for Yankees first baseman because Luke Voigt had a very good month. Mm-hmm. Greg Bird has had very good months. Sure, I, I don't. I don't think we sit here right now knowing who the Yankees first baseman is on opening day next year. I mean, we're sitting here. Everyone's very excited about Luke Voigt, but it wasn't that long ago that everyone was very excited about Greg Bird. To say nothing of any other changes that could still happen with the roster. But how do you think he's approaching just this uncertainty? Because, like you said, I mean, he when those when those playoffs started, he was the guy at first base, yep. and you can't knock that. But I, it's just a very bizarre position. I think it's certainly the weirdest position on this roster right now. For sure. But I think for Luke specifically, this is like not new to him at all. Like Throughout his life and his career, he's always been in an uncertain position, first with football because he had dreams of playing professional football and college football. And those dreams died due to injury. And then he had dreams of being the first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals when he was drafted by the Cardinals. But even though he was successful for a while, he was blocked. So it's always been up in the air for him. And for him, it's always just been about like, just do the work, just keep showing up, take a hold of the opportunities when you when you get them and prove to people that you can do the job. And that's that's how he's approaching this. He said He's like, look, I did, I was myself for that month and people seem to like it. So I'm going to keep being myself and hopefully keep having success and people keep liking it. You know, when we do these trips to uh, players' hometowns and stuff, we often get to meet other people that know them far Mm -hmm. better than we do, you know, whether it's friends or family or whatever. Who were some of the folks that you ran into when you were out in Missouri and and what did you kind of learn about Luke Voigt through through those conversations? We met a lot of people. So we met his fiance who was lovely and no, no longer a fiance. No longer a fiance. Oh. They got married uh, in the middle of December, so congrats to them. And she's 
obviously a huge supporter and is just so happy for his success and loves to to talk him up because he's a pretty humble guy. He's- I gotta say, on the list of Yankees schmoopy Instagram players, <laughs> I think he's taking uh, the number two position right now behind Clint Frazier. But oh, he, yeah. he might be pushing for the number one spot. He's getting up there. <laughs> They're young and in love. They're newlyweds. They're newlyweds. Leave them alone, John. Uh, I met his trainer, Brian Fitzmorris, because, like I said, I was at the gym for many, many hours. (laughs) So Brian and I spent a lot of time together as Luke was doing his reps. And Brian's been training Luke since he was about 15 years old, because that's when Luke got serious about, like, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. And this is the work that I want to put into it. And Brian said, okay. And every year he ramps it up because Luke gets stronger and stronger and bigger and better. And he wants to keep getting bigger and bigger and better and better. I met his uh, former coaches when he was on a travel team who now run a training academy batting cage in the area. And they said the same thing that everybody else said. This is who Luke is. Nothing that Luke did in September and October of 2018 was surprising to Mm. any of these people. Everyone was like, if you have seen Luke Voigt play, if you have seen his commitment, if you have given him any ounce of thought or watched him for a single second at any level, you would say, oh, that's just what Luke Voigt does. He (laughs) just produces and he figures out a way to make a presence and have a presence on a team. So they were all like, yeah, of course he's a huge star. Well, why wouldn't he be? <laughs> I loved, um, you know, you really drove home in the story, kind of him always taking kind of the back door. Mm-hmm. This is just a guy who, you know, doesn't seem to go the conventional route. And, I, you know, one thing that stands out for me, obviously, is his hilarious triple in the um, <laughs> wild card game, which, you know, is a guy trying to celebrate a home run and then realizing uh oh not a home run but still lumbering his way to a triple lumbering is a gracious way to put it yeah. hey he has, he has one more triple in the playoffs than i do that's true <laughs> but no I, I i does what does he say about that just the the total lack of ability he seems to have mm-hmm. to take the easy way or to have things go the way they're supposed to go he fully acknowledges he's like listen i know i'm not gonna have the most skills i know i'm never gonna be the fastest i know i'm never gonna be the best but i know that i can work harder than you and i know that i can show up before you and i know that i can do that extra rep more than you and i know that my attitude if i stay positive and believe in myself can carry me through maybe the skills that i don't have me and my brother always wanted to be like the best and we always weren't the fastest, the strongest, but we always wanted to, you know, outcompete you. And whether that was with mindset or toughness or, you know, just going to the gym earlier than you or staying later than you and mm-hmm. being up earlier than you is, you know, something we kind of always have instilled. And, you know, we've always wanted to be the leaders of whatever, you know, team or whatever, whatever sports are off the field or, you know, in a you know business setting or whatever. It's just something that we've always had. So, I mean, that's just part of growing up. And, you know, we grew up in the Midwest, and I, you know, I think it's kind of blue collar too. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's part of it as well. That's that belief in himself and this perseverance that he just like refuses, absolutely one hundred percent refuses to give up. That I think has made him successful so far, and will hopefully continue to make him successful, regardless of what happens with the Yankees. I think Luke Voigt has proven. If one door closes, he's going to find another one or smash his way through another one. So I guess I'm so it's such a again, this is like a January podcast. Like this is what comes with the territory. But like, you know, I'll put the question to both of you. Greg Bird, Luke Voigt or the field. 
who has more starts at first base for the Yankees in 2019. Yikes. Um, no it's idea. so weird. I have no, idea. no clue. Yeah. I think, and so Luke Voigt believes that the job is his. Luke Voigt says, I'm the starting first baseman for the New York Yankees. Whether that's true or not, whether that's his own belief or not, he says, I'm the first baseman for the New York Yankees, and that's his mindset going into this year. That's how he's preparing. And I think that has to be how Greg Bird is preparing as well, don't you think? Great point, yeah. <laughs> That's certainly going to be one of the more interesting position battles to watch in spring training. Yeah, but it's just, it's so confusing to me right now, like, what either one of these guys is. Cause yeah, we just don't know. This is no knock on Luke Voigt, like I said. I mean, maybe he is that player that he was in September. But, I mean, I, I have to think he's not. He could still be a very good player, but I have to think he's not what he was in September. Brian Cashman himself was surprised when I talked to Brian about this. I was like, well, what were you expecting from Luke Voigt? And he said, well, not that. <laughs> but with, with that said, though, and I think it's so, important to mention from your story, Luke Voigt was not a throw-in. Luke Voigt was not someone no. who they looked at and said, like, oh, maybe yeah, let's we'll take a fire on this guy. Right. No, he's like, been on Brian's watch list for more than a year. And they were right. They were right about what they saw from it. And whether or not it lasts, mm-hmm. I mean, that was, you know. They knew that he could have an impact. They didn't quite foresee the impact that he had in 2018. But they knew that he could be a player. They knew that he could, you know, hit home runs and he could be an offensive threat and somebody who can certainly contribute in a meaningful way, which is why Brian wanted him and got him in that trade with St. Louis. But Brian himself was like, listen, I don't think any of us would have thought that Luke Voigt would, you know, lead the league in home runs in the last like two months of the season. Like that was never a projection. We projected he would be you know, a useful power hitter, but we didn't project that he would hit that many home runs in that short amount of time. And it's I mean, look, we start, we started this podcast talking about, you know, Aaron Boone. I, I think this is going to be the most interesting thing to watch about how he handles. I don't know that either one. Of, first off, these are both great guys. I yes. should be pointed out. Neither Greg Bird nor Luke Voigt, if they're both with the team for the whole year, is likely to cause a problem in the clubhouse. But I don't think either one of them is necessarily suited for a real bench role either. Um, I think Bird strikes out too much to be an effective bench player. And, you know, I mean, Voigt, when he has been a bench player in the past, he was not successful at right. it. Right. Um, yeah, it was very hard for him. But I, I just, I really wonder how the team handles this because it, it, it is the most interesting thing to me about this offseason right now. Who will be stay, playing first base next year? And I know that that's not the most interesting thing for a lot of Yankees fans right now as we wait for these free agent decisions. But, <laughs> um, that, that's what I'm watching. No, I'm intrigued by it as well. And, it, you know, it's a lot of credit goes to the front office. I mean, this is part of this analytical revolution where they identify players who whose who's raw skills they see as translating mm-hmm. to, to, you know, this ballpark. And, you know, it's... Didi Gregorius, anyone? Yeah, yeah it's, it's really incredible. But, um, you know, just to go back to, you know, I think uh, you, you spoke to his brother as well, right? did speak to his brother, John, yes. So I know that, um, you know, you, you had done a John, version... John Voight, mind you. John Voight, John yeah. Voight, yeah. Not the actor. <laughs> Um, because you had done a, a version of, of this story for the Pinstripe Bowl program, which mm-hmm. was more kind of, you know, a college football angle. Yes. So maybe for those who haven't read it yet, maybe you could just talk a little bit about uh, Luke and John's relationship. So Luke is the older brother, Luke right? is four years older than John, yes. John is, he is now studying to become an Army Ranger. He graduated from West Point last year. He was the captain of the West Point football team, which was his dream not his dream to be captain of West Point, but to play college football on a very big stage, which was also Luke's dream. And when Luke 
couldn't do that because of shoulder injuries and, and other reasons. You know, John really took up that mantle and was like, you know what, I'm going to continue this. I can still do this. And they really lived through each other because John also played baseball and he played basketball, same as Luke did. And so at some point, John gave up baseball and Luke gave up football. And they said, you know, we live vicariously through each other. How cool is it that at least one of the boy brothers got to play? Yeah, and it's, it's almost <laughs> like I got to live through him. And yeah. he'll probably say the same thing, how he gets to live with me through baseball. Yeah, it did suck. I obviously wanted to play football. and. You know, football is probably my number one love, but like I said, like God has a way of fixing something and, you know, telling me I can't do it. And obviously he did that by ripping my shoulder out, but, you know, it's a blessing and I got to live through my brother. So that was the most important. Obviously, I got a little bit of it, a little taste of it. So John made one of the biggest tackles in recent memory in Army-Navy football history to save the game for the, the Army's team. And... Um, you know, Luke was in the stands watching that. And Luke obviously has had some uh, big moments here at Yankee Stadium and also when he was with the Cardinals. And John was in the stands for those two. And those are some of their favorite memories. I asked them, you know, what are your favorite sports memories? And they say the memories of their, their brothers doing things. Yeah. So John's favorite memory is Luke's first major league home run. And Luke's favorite memory is that tackle that John made against Navy. It's And, and it's you're incredible. leaving out John actually thriving also on the Yankee Stadium field. Correct. Yes. Army John game. played here before Luke did um, back in, I think it was 2014. They played against UConn. And so this was Luke, I believe, was still in the St. Louis farm system, working his way up to the big leagues. And um, yeah, it's so amazing to me, like four years before Luke Voigt bursts onto the scene mm-hmm. at Yankee Stadium, his younger brother played here. And though, although John didn't figure statistically in the game, he didn't make any tackles or anything. He was very important to that. Well, you said he was that rushing win. the quarterback. He was rushing. To he, cause an interception. Yes. Right? If but... you if you watch later in the game in the fourth quarter. UConn is driving. I think they're going to try and tie the score or maybe take the lead. And you see John rush the quarterback there. I think it was like third and goal. UConn was very close to scoring here on on the Yankee Stadium field. And John is rushing the quarterback's blindside, I think. I can't remember if it was his blindside or if he was coming straight at him. But the quarterback had to rush his throw and wound up throwing an interception that was returned believe for a touchdown uh, or very nearly so again save the game and army went on to win <laughs> at yankee stadium at yankee yeah, stadium so yeah john's always gonna have that over luke no matter oh, what he, he does says here. that he was like listen i have these bragging rights it's like i played here before you man <laughs> i did it first younger brother got here first <laughs> yeah but they're they're best friends. They love each other. They it's, look so much alike. They are, yeah. they are very similar looking. They're both like big, huge guys. Like yeah, they're, meaty, square. they're literal square meaty people. Meaty arms, <laughs> meaty faces, meaty everything. But yeah, I talked to John. He was still up at West Point. He was excited to see Luke, you know, for his wedding, the holidays. He's like, I can't wait. It's just going to be so much fun to be back with him. I mean, you know, they're brothers. And even though they're four years apart and John says he was the annoying younger brother who would follow his older brother around and try and do everything that Luke would do. I mean, Luke didn't seem to care. He was like, yeah, I beat him up sometimes. Sometimes I made him cry, but I loved him. I wanted to make him better. And I think it worked out because they both have very successful careers. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Two awesome stories you did. I mean, I did not say, I think a year ago, that I would know this much about a Cardinals utility guy named Luke Voigt. But I, I mean, it's awesome. Those are two fantastic stories that, uh, yeah, excited to see what happens this year. I'm very, very curious. Yeah, to see what happens. for sure. 
I, I mean, know. whatever happens, I think it'll be fun to watch, regardless. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, both guys are very easy to root for, like you said. Mm-hmm. Between Voight and Greg Bird, it's like you kind of hope the best for both of them, but you know, it's. I mean, you've seen what each of them can do, like you said, John. Both have had really successful stretches and i mean greg bird is not as bad as he was in 2018 luke void is not as good as he was in 2018 and that's a weird like the the medium between there is still very good though yeah it's it's a good it's a good problem to have if it works out Mm -hmm. i mean you know i I wonder if a year from now we're looking at our yankees roster that includes both of those guys i I don't think so i don't know how that would work we have a lot of time between now and then though and it's just you know look pinch rifle's over there's not another game on the Yankee Stadium grass mm-hmm. until the home Opening opener. Day. It's just kind of in that stretch right now where f- football playoffs are about to get underway. And once those end, pitchers and catchers isn't that far off. No. It's going to be here before we know it. It is. Mere weeks. All right. Indeed. Well, thanks, guys. Happy New Year again. Happy, I think this is the last one we're legally allowed to say right. Happy New Year Please during. don't ever say it to me <laughs> until this time next year. I don't want to hear it. Don't put it in your emails in February. I will make fun of you. On, on January 2nd, 2019, on my first time having to do it, I got it right, and I put the 19 there, and I was you very did. proud of it. You didn't have to like make that line over yeah. the 8, you know? <laughs> it was very easy from 17 to 18 because you could fix the 7 pretty easily by putting two, two circles you there. You could. It still looked a little Funny, 18 though. to 19 it's, no, it's hard you better get it right yeah yeah well i'm proud of you john thank you very much I'm, I, was, I was really fishing for that compliment. you're welcome <laughs> you know keep keep going strong open up strong nate figure out that cup situation i believe in you i'm gonna do it i'm gonna make a change make a change make an impact we got this all right guys talk to you soon <laughs> <laughs>